Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihil kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah and we seek blessings upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and many more and many more. And let me just mute some of the, the noise. Okay, so to all of you who are back for more torture from me, welcome back, mashallah. All of those of you who are brand new students, welcome. And uh, at my end, we haven't yet decided if it is Ramadan, at least for half of our population, because as you know, I'm a moon sighter. So we will find out, inshallah, in the next couple of hours. But my hunch is that everyone will be fasting, inshallah, starting tomorrow. So for those who have never taken uh, my classes before, to give you uh, an idea that the other students in the class are, are familiar with, uh, this is not a tafsir class, but even when I say that, a lot of us don't understand the proper functioning of tafsir, that the proper functioning of tafsir, we think is here's what the ayah says and here's what it means, when in fact it's more often here's what the ayah says and here's how to expand the meaning, the understanding of the ayah by expanding the boundaries or the expanding the approaches we take in which to understand such and such passage. But in the modern context, <coughs> excuse me, for lay people, the approach has been to, to all right, the jokes have already begun. It, the approach has been to read a passage and read a tafsir, a commentary, as this is what God intended to say. And one of the things that happens, aside from misusing texts that are not designed for that purpose, is that we bypass the text itself. What are God's words? And so our focus is going to be uh, informed by, by commentary, but, it'd be, uh, but our actual goal is to look at the text itself, the words of the divine, and to also look at the word choices of the divine. This will be especially interesting when we get to Ayat al-Kursi, and why is it this attribute and this attribute? What is the effect of putting in this order? What happens if we switch it around? So forth and so on. And so, so the approach uh, for those who are new is going to be much more discussion-based than many of you might be familiar with. Again, those who are returning students, they're already familiar with that approach. So all of you are invited to participate in the discussion and share your ideas and thoughts as part of the process of engagement with the text. And so the goal then over the course of the month is that the experience you have by engaging with the text is something that you find enriching, that you're really getting into the words of Allah. You're really getting into perhaps uh, context as driven from the text as opposed to context in terms of historical background and such, but we will look at those things as well. And then in addition to that, <clears throat> The, uh, the, the approach here is different than my previous classes, where in my previous classes, we would take a certain section of the Quran, say Al-Fatiha, and the next seven pages. So let's say Ayahs 1 through 39, that's one of my most common classes, where we go through everything ayah by ayah, passage by passage, phrase by phrase. Last year, we went through the first couple of pages of Surat Ali Imran from start to finish. Here, it's a selected set of individual and sometimes pairs of ayahs, of prominent ayahs uh, that we're going to go through, like Ayat al-Kursi, like Ayat al-Bir, like Ayat al-Nur. And if you don't know any of this means, don't worry, we'll get to it when we get to it and such. And if you have questions, feel free to type them into the chat 
feel free uh, to speak uh, into the microphone. And in some cases, to the dismay of everyone else in the class, I will, I will entertain the question. In other cases, I'll say, we'll get to that later. If, however, you want to criticize other people, then you will be permanently dropped from the class with a big smile from me. Okay? But aside from that, the goal is that all of us are together engaging uh, with, with uh, the material. So if you're raising questions that seem problematic about faith, bring it to the conversation. This is a safe place for such conversations and questions. And so if you feel that you're raising a question that might be pushing the envelope, then bring it to the conversation and then we can see. And so I'm getting some direct messages. One person is asking, can I criticize you? That is perfectly fine as well. I'm criticized a little bit more than most people. In any case, having said that, the goal for each session is for us to take about half an hour. Uh, but I blocked out one hour because sometimes we're going to go to 40 minutes. Sometimes we're going to go to 50 minutes. We're never going to go past one hour, inshallah, because I have to leave. But our target is to keep close to, to 30 minutes for each section. So, the, so that it's essentially a small dosage of, of reflection on, on the material. The, uh, a couple of the passages will be reviewed for those of you who've gone through the material with me. But most of it will be new for, for all of us, inshallah. Thus, does anyone have any initial questions about anything at all? Nothing. Blank stares. Okay. So just like a bunch of undergrads, we can jump then right into the material. And let me see if I can... Uh, we're doing something different than the whiteboard this time. This time we are doing um, OneNote. Yeah. If I can do one note properly, then this will be Vava Zabradust. Hold on. Yeah, reminder. Da, 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 da. And what do you know? I've already lost my one note. Hold on. Oh, screen one. That brings me to that. That brings me to that. No. Let's try this again. Here. I lost it again. Okay, well, let me see. Uh, can someone tell me what you see on your screen right now? Someone has to un unmute yourself. You see the wolf, yeah? Now, do you see a blank OneNote screen? Yep. Okay. Yep. So if I draw the squiggly line, do you see the squiggly line? No, yep. mashallah. Okay, very good. So technology matters have been resolved. So the first ayah we are exploring naturally is fitting. It is the basmalah. Those of you who've gone through this with me, I appreciate your patience. Those of you for whom this is new, then inshallah, it'll be of benefit. So today... Okay, the Basmallah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. First, just some basic technical information about Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. As most of you know, a 113 out of 114 surahs begin with this, this verse. There is no unanimity on whether or not this verse at the beginning of the surahs is actually part of the surahs themselves. 
which is more of a technical matter for the layperson. It's kind of an irrelevant point. Likewise, when you open up the Quran on the first page, you have Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. There is no unanimity on whether or not that is part of the actual text of Al-Fatiha, but it is still read or recited when someone is reciting Al-Fatiha. So either we say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim out loud or we do not. And then from there, the one surah that does not begin with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim is Surah At-Tawbah, the ninth surah. And among the many theories about why, one theory is that the language of that surah is very fierce, which I think is partially sound or partially unsound because there are other surahs like Surah Muhammad, Surah 47, where the language is even more fierce. Uh, Another is that it may be a continuation of the previous surah, Surah Al-Anfal, but it is still regarded as a separate passage. The bottom line is, why do these surahs begin with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim and this surah does not? Because that is what is handed down to us. And then we are deriving meaning for why this is the case here and why this is not the case there. And then there's, of course, one reference to Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. This is in Surah Al-Naml, uh, the ant, uh, regarding the correspondence between uh, Sabah and uh, Suleiman, may peace be upon them. In their correspondence, his letter to her begins with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So having said that, we were, uh, let's see the question, were Surah Al-Fatiha and Surah Tatawbah revealed back to back? Sort of, meaning pieces of them were not revealed all at once. And so, and so having said that, let's look at this for what this offers. So, so Bism Allah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. So initial comments, uh, reflections. <clears throat> what are different ways through which I can have a relationship with Allah? How would you answer this question? One obvious is with the names of Allah, the attributes of Allah. What are other ways for me to have a relationship with Allah? Anybody? Anything? And this is the moment where I grab my drink of water. And then before I finish my drink, someone's going to comment. My Like making victor and like... Repeating his name, I guess. Okay, so so one uh, actually my uh, photo, my intern, she's sitting in the class too, although she can't she can't hear all of your wonderful comments. And so uh, photo mentioned by way of my needs, uh, that is a way to have a relationship with Allah. And then and I know you said uh, by by dhikr. and so translate for us what you mean by dhikr. like just like remembering him more often mm-hmm. and like using his name in your everyday things and just acknowledging Allah's presence. Mm-hmm. And so so just the idea of remembering Allah, remembering Allah by way of his names and such. Sarah Fadlallah says, through the sunnah of the prophet, may peace be upon him. Absolutely. What else? What else are other ways to have a relationship with Allah? Signed within ourselves and in the universe. Okay, so, so, so Brother Iqbal is mentioning just the ayat of Allah the signs of Allah within ourselves, the signs within the universe. And then that can be a reminder to me of Allah. And it may even inspire me to to move uh, even closer. So Asim is saying by following him as in following the deen of Allah, all of these things. Shela. Through gratitude. Gratitude is a big way to have a relationship with Allah. So all of these are, are very good answers, mashallah. If we were to pick a first step, so suppose you have someone 
who is new in developing the relationship with the law, what would be a first step? Oh, Fatima Fadlullah is also here, mashallah. We have a bunch of superstars from, from the history of Muzaffar here. And so Fatima is saying increasing your bada, increasing your worship, mashallah, absolutely. Through Salah, absolutely. What would be a first step? Anna? I think like I would recommend like making dua and having conversations with Allah in that way. Okay. So one can be just getting into conversation. So anyone else? What would you prescribe as a first step? We're missing the point of Quran itself. Hey, explain. So just just reading on uh, reading the Quran uh, Quranic ayat and pondering, pondering on those. Okay, so it could be that a first step is just to read the Quran and and reflect upon the ayahs themselves. Uh, Asim is saying the profession of faith. Sure. Uh, Zishan is saying remembering the names of Allah. Sheila. Um, maybe asking for forgiveness. Forgiveness. So so. Uh, in relationship with gratitude, we also have the forgiveness and the idea, part of the idea of tawbah is turning back towards uh, 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 Allah, like reorienting myself back towards Allah or the seeking of forgiveness in terms of recognizing that, that I've done something wrong. What else? Anyone else? What are ways with which to have a starting point for a relationship with Allah? Like establishing your nature as a creative being. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, knowing who you are as a as a human. So, so part of it is, is your own self-awareness, knowing who you are as a human being, as a created being uh, before, before the creator. Sarah Fadlala says, working towards strong character. Yeah, this is also good. Shayla, step one, asking for guidance, all of these. So what do we have here, which is not necessarily defined as the first step, but is given to us as a first step, is to get to know Allah by way of his names. And so this is, Bism is B-ism, with or in the name of Allah. So, and again, for a lot of you who've taken this with me, this will be, this will be review. A little bit of, of uh, uh, a couple, two theories about the name Allah itself. One theory is that the name Allah is at least as old as the Arabic language, if not older. And if that theory is sound, then it means belief has always been part of language, belief in the divine. And then another theory is that the name Allah is a contraction of Al-Ilah. And so, so one theory is Allah was always Allah. Another theory is Allah is Al-Ilah. And a contraction. And then uh, to give you some basic definitions of what does it mean to take something as an ilah, uh, five common definitions. One is whatever it is you rely upon above all else to take you from danger into safety is what you take as an ilah. So I might keep a cell phone with me. Uh, I might keep money with me. Uh, I might always be aware of where I am. Uh, Potentially, I might keep a weapon with me, all for the purposes of safety. But suppose I lose all of those things, then I might rely upon my intellect. And suppose my intellect isn't helping me, I'm in a completely foreign environment, like the middle of a, of a forest. Then what do I do? Do I fall into despair? And so whatever it is I rely upon above all else is what I take as an ilah. And in this context, to take me from danger into safety, to take me from confusion into clarity. 
This is increasingly relevant in our area era of social media and getting bombarded by fake news, slanted news, opinions, all of those things. Or whatever it is I take, I turn to to take me from despair into hope is what I take as an ilah. Or whatever it is I turn to for comfort the way a baby relies on mother. So these are basic common definitions of what does it mean to take something as an ilah. And the big one is whatever it is I worship. And the word worship here is to give my most extreme love. So when we're translating ibadah linguistically, it's to give your most extreme love. And the idea here is one level of love is you are devoted to your beloved. You can't stop thinking about your beloved. You hope your beloved loves you back. A deeper level might be the love that Asim has for his little tiny baby, mashallah. How old is, is baby Elias now? Uh, he's almost five months. Okay, mashallah. About a week. Yeah. And I think Asim has been in a five consecutive month process of smiling. Okay. Uh, even deeper than that would be the love that we have for the prophet, peace be upon him, in which we hold him in awe. And then above that is complete surrender, complete, voluntary, loving surrender. This is worship. And so whatever it is you surrender to completely is what you take as an ilah. So that is also giving a hint on how to have a relationship with Allah. To evaluate who is at the top of my priority. And to see if that is Allah or not. Whom, for whom I would give my utmost, most valuable possessions and that may be what i take as an ilah what is your most valuable possession any thoughts our own life yeah perhaps it's your own life or perhaps it is your time And so if I look at how it is that I conduct my time, how is it that I dedicate my life, that may give me an indication of what I am potentially taking as an ilah. So this is especially relevant as we're entering Ramadan and we're fasting and everything, and we have constant reflection, focus on Allah. And then on top of that, as part of the constant focus on Allah in the condition of fasting, we're always conscious of the fact that we're fasting and extra cautious and extra on guard to the point that this is literally walking taqwa. And so as part of the process of this, we are in fasting for Allah, right? We're taught that all these other attributes, all these other acts of worship are for ourselves, but fasting is for Allah. Awesome. Um, when you talk about how we use our time, is that also in relation to how we otherwise could be using our time? I'd say absolutely, but are you thinking of something in particular? Um, well, yeah, now, like you just brought up my son and, you know, he's been sick for the past couple of days. And so like, for example, electing to take time off work and take care of him is like, is that necessarily part of what you're talking about? I would say that would be included. Okay. And especially in terms of what else you could do. Right. 
and and so some of that is is instinctive so the question was you know what about like taking care of an ill child or something and and so so in the short macro micro i think it is harder to evaluate how we're dedicating our time but if you look at the past year or a longer period of time and there will be layers of this of course right I might be doing work for the purpose of earning to provide for myself and my family. And I'm doing it ethically is in obedience to a law. Why yes. does it have to be mutually exclusive as in like, why can't my act, any act, whether it's taking care of someone or even eating, doing anything for myself, within that act, one is also praying. Okay. Okay. So, so, so the question that, that, that Sister Farah is raising is, you know, does it have to be mutually exclusive? Is it possible that within the act, it is a type of praying? And so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the core of it uh, gets evaluated how, for example, if I'm conducting myself without violating Allah's boundaries, then it's still an act of, of obedience to Allah, even though it well, may have nothing to do with religion. Of it, um... Or with a with a consciousness, taqwa as an the idea of being consciously aware mm -hmm. of you know that uh, you know through the names and the qualities of God and even if it is I don't know like um, something very mundane parking your car or sure. something um, but the fact that you are actually connected through that experience thinking of God as one who has facilitated this but parking your car mm -hmm. so so uh, this is another important point that. Nothing is fundamentally then mundane, mm -hmm. right? That everything can be an act of devotion to God. Yeah, absolutely. Even things that seem to be very much counter to it. Mm -hmm. so. uh, Angie, you raise your hand. Yeah, I was just going to add that, like, I thought I learned that, yes, any act, even like preparing dinner, like the typical, you know, motherly parent, parental duties, if you make like they are considered acts of worship, but especially if you make intention, then it actually becomes like you can get, I don't know, I guess rewarded or considered as, as, the, as acts of worship. Okay. So, so the point Angie's making is, is even things like cooking and such, if you intend it, it can be acts of worship. So I'm going to make a, I'm going to put an asterisk on all of this okay. that in terms of a thick definition I would not call these ibadah as categorized as acts of worship, but they can still have the intention of devotion to Allah, that they can still have the intention of something like ibadah. What do you think? Worshipful attitude. Worshipful as opposed to worship, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that would be the, the subtle distinction. But the point is, common in all this, is you can make your whole existence 24-7 focused on Allah. And it does tie in both to the action itself as well as to the intention. And we'll be adding more to that over the course of, of our explorations this month. In the second half of this, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. So most or all of us know that among the different attributes of Allah, Rahmah, is perhaps the most repeated. And Rahma has two parts to it. And Ahant, I'll come to you in just a second here. One part is mercy. The other part is intimacy. 
And what is the idea here? That when I am giving rahma, it is purposeful towards the response. So if I am giving you ease, it is with the intention of building intimacy. And how does it become intimacy? When you recognize it as mercy and you respond, perhaps, with gratitude. And so a primary relationship that Allah has with all of creation is rahmah. The Prophet himself, peace be upon him, is a manifestation, perhaps the ultimate manifestation of the rahmah of Allah. And I'm going to come back to that point in a second. And then our default interaction with each other is one of rahmah. So here's a, an equation I'd like you to consider. Imagine you have all of the mercies that Allah has put in all of creation. You have a scale and you put all of those on one side. And on the other side, you put the prophet, peace be upon him. And it's probably obvious where I'm going with this. Uh, I'm suggesting for your consideration that if you have all of the mercies of all creation that is less weighty as Rahmah than the prophet, peace be upon him. And I'll give you all a moment to think about this, to agree, to push back, whatever the case may be. Uh, my computer is going to restart in 15 minutes, and I'm trying to hit snooze. Okay, so well, we're all already at the halfway mark. So, and now I just lost that. Uh, Ahant, your question. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Um, you know, in regards to earlier in uh, the conversation, um, you know, you know, uh, in terms of what makes our relationship with Allah stronger. Is there any situations where decreasing ibadah makes your relationship stronger? Oh, cool question. So the question is, is there any situation where decreasing ibadah makes your relationship with Allah stronger? Anyone want to want to try for that one? Quantity-wise. Quantity yeah. Quantity or optional acts or okay. exceptional acts um you know what are your thoughts uh, because um you know oftentimes you hear the balance between dean and 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 dunya i never like that statement okay so uh, the balance between dean and dunya you don't like it because because inherently in my mind uh, you're saying that you'll have to sacrifice some of the dean for the dunya okay i don't think that's a good thing in my mind, but does that come into play when we're talking about extra acts or okay. certain like types of ibadah to secure something in the dunya that can give us peace, that can make us attain mercy more, I guess. You All know, right. My drift. Okay. So Dr. Mahan, what do you have to say? You know, um, the way I think about this is that everybody's at, at a different stage in the journey. So I don't like general answers. You know, some people need more of kind of devotion. But just to this, if you compare ibadah to other things, just what comes to mind is the hadith about ilm, uh, knowledge. So there in the hadith, there are multiple hadith on this, but the ones that contrast seeking knowledge to 
ibada, kind of mere worship, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the superiority of those who sit in circles of knowledge um, and seek knowledge, um, as opposed to those who are at, in engaged in may, maybe just ritual acts of devotion, um, whereas the, the contrast is is given to us. Okay. Uh, awesome. Yeah, I think ultimately it depends on the kind of ibada we're talking about. Okay. Um, so that is to say that uh, if someone's spending all their, you know, to oversimplify it, but if someone's spending all their time focusing on dhikr, but they're skipping their salah, mm-hmm. then that's, then maybe if you, you could even in theory, again, sort of extreme example, but go to zero dhikr and just perform your basic salah. And I would venture to say that because one is a commandment and the other one is at least at that level optional by decreasing quantity, you are increasing your relationship. Uh Okay. Anna. I think like the short answer would be, I don't think that there is a situation where decreasing your abada would strengthen your relationship because Mm -hmm. All of these scenarios that we're discussing are kind of like trade-offs. Like it's like if you are choosing to not abide by certain optional things, it's because you are prioritizing other forms of ibadah, like higher with Allah. And like, or like even if you're choosing, like you're feeling overwhelmed and you're choosing to take a step back, it's because you want to come back with that renewed ibadah. Then I feel like or a renewed intention. And like, I guess it's maybe about, I guess if we are talking about the technical term for Ibadah, maybe that's not what it is, but like, it is a worshipful act, I think, mm-hmm. to like, base your actions that way. Okay. Okay. Uh, Angie. Um, I know we don't get the opportunity much, but technically, if you would be joining like a fight, like, you know, then I think the in that case, I think it specifically says that you leave, you know, you wouldn't be participating in a lot of, you know, you wouldn't be doing a lot of Ibeta and that and that okay. not even really understanding your point here. Please uh, clarify further. Like if you like jihad, you know, but the physical kind, like okay. um going for, you know, joining to fight, you know. So basically in those circumstances, again, that's not really oh, okay, okay. So basically you're saying. Uh, if I'm going to enter a battle, yes, then I might be helping my relationship with Allah by not entering the battle. This is what you're saying. No, yeah. entering it and then entering the battle. Is... Yeah, then you wouldn't be able to perform the typical. You know, isn't that the question? Isn't Alrighty, that... <laughs> uh, kind of, but that was escalating quite a bit. So uh, I will say, yeah, it is possible. And Sheila. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm just speaking from my own personal experience where, you know, like, I don't feel necessarily connected to my Salah. And I say, okay, you know, like right now, I just feel like telling Allah what is in my heart. And so, you know, is that um, true Ibadah? I mean, it's, it's just, you know, kind of being honest with myself and Allah and saying, like, my heart is not in my Salah now. And like, I'm just, you know, show, bring me closer to you. And so, you know, in that sense, you know, taking a break from my salah, I'm, 
I'm actually able to be renewed and become closer to Allah because he answers my prayers because I spoke from my heart rather than just going through the ritual mm -hmm. that I, my heart was not in. Mm -hmm. So and I have experienced that or like saying, you know, I'm going to go for a walk right now and think of Allah and then come back, you know, maybe to my salah afterwards. And mm -hmm. I feel like renewed. So I have experienced that. So I'm going to add a couple of points to, to Shayla's point. One is I'm su suspecting built into Shayla's point is the desire for her salah to improve, right? As opposed to, yeah, I'm taking a break. See you when I see you, right? But now the desire here is for me to get reoriented. Regarding the second point, however, I think it is uh, very easy to comprehend this, that in this moment right now, I can't pray. Okay. Maybe I'm so upset that I can't even concentrate. Or I'm so distracted that I can't concentrate. So I'm going to wait 20 minutes until I'm back in, in a state. Now, ideally, I want to be at the point that if I'm upset, then I go right into my prayers, but I might not be at that level. Uh, but I have had students which, uh, for, for whom I've told, okay, no, you don't do this right now. And the easy example are new converts, right? New converts who try to run and do everything right away. And for them, I have suggested, yeah, you should not be doing this thing. I'm not telling you this thing that is mandatory, that you're excused from doing it, but that in your development of your relationship with Allah right now, it is not good for you. Uh, Stephanie is saying, what about delaying a prayer, for example, to assist someone? Yeah, same point. Not necessarily to miss it, but to prioritize someone in need first. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll finish off. And, you know, I was one of those new converts years ago where you said not to do things. And, you know, going forward, as you progress in your journey, you know, there's, there's, there's always things that you sh should not do, you know, to progress yourself. I guess my question is like, when does that ball stop? <laughs> you know, and like, that's what I mean. Like when I say is, is less bother bringing you closer to Allah? Because like throughout your life, you're always like trying to refrain from something that may be good for you, like, you know, on paper, but not like good for you personally. Sure. So that is often better figured out with the guidance of a teacher. And built into that is the goal that you are seeking perfection in the long term, in the marathon, as opposed to the short term. And, and the other aspect of that is essentially that we also have to distinguish between that which is mandatory versus those that are elective. Those that are elective, meaning sunnah, nafal, and so forth and so on. Um, I think your answer would much more commonly be yes, that there are better times not to do such and such nafal prayers for the development of your heart. Uh, with fard, it is harder to argue that, especially if someone has reached a point of stability. But then in individual context, not limited to, to a convert or someone who is sort of you know, struggling and developing their practice, that there might be those things. But as a general, general context. In any case, uh, good discussion for, for the first day. Those of you who are new, hopefully the discussion was not too prickly. And this is a taste of exactly what the entire month is going to be like. We're going to discuss a little bit more about Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim tomorrow. And then we'll get into our next ayah. Any last questions, thoughts, reflections? 
Uh, the class, by the way, is being recorded. The audio recordings, not the video, but the audio recordings I will post in my SoundCloud. And when the first years, first years hear me say the word SoundCloud, then they all start laughing. So, any questions? Just so I want to make uh, one clarification. Oh, uh, Dr. Malaha, the same link every day. Yes. Iqbal. So I think uh, the other question was about Ibadah. And look like mo most of the, the things that we cover is about the Salat. So I think there is a, there's a difference between Ibadah and, and performing the Salat. So I, what I mean is that even if somebody is in a state of wudu, for example. Sure. Even though it's just the time he's just in a state of wudu, he's selfish Ibadah, for example. Okay. So, so I think I'm seeing that the, the answer is coming as if like Ibadah is all like five time prayer and all those things. If I'm, if I'm mistaken, can you please clarify that well, point? I mean, I think uh, your point is valid, but let's change, uh, let's change the frame of reference to suppose, uh, is, there a, is there a number of fasting that's too much fasting? How would you answer that question? Yeah, but then we prescribe some bare minimum. So, so yeah, we we're not talking about the bare minimum, that. but like, for example, uh, if we have someone who decides to fast every day, that's, that's too much fasting. Yeah. Uh, but suppose, so a common issue that I've had uh, today and this week is I have students who, who have eating disorders who want to fast and want to go against their health by fasting. Uh, what would you all recommend? And so I'm talking about students who reach the point of passing out while fasting. That it may be better for them to not fast. Uh, I have a student who goes through seizures when she's praying. So if her five daily prayers she can't do because she gets into a seizure. And so that would be uh, easy health matters to argue that, okay, here's, here, do something modified and such. But, but the point being that uh, Ahan's general question is, we have that category of actions that are acts of worship, ibadah. And are there cases where doing less of that might be better? And, and I think Anna mentioned the point that everything is, is fundamentally a trade-off. If I'm doing ibadah at the cost of serving my society, then there's a problem there. Right? We have many famous stories about that. But let's hold on to it. Let's, uh, let's continue the discussion, inshallah, tomorrow. All righty. Thank you, everyone, for a very good discussion. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Nashadu la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Nashadu la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma. Glory to you, O Allah. Wa bihamdika. Praise and gratitude are to you. Nashadu la ilaha illa anta. We bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka, we seek your forgiveness when it do we like, and we turn to you. May Allah tell everyone you all, inshallah, Ramadan Mubarak. Hopefully, we'll be fasting all together, and we will see you tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.